I know my sheep, and am known of mine. John 10.14 And the Lord knoweth them that are his. 2 Timothy 2.19 And if the number of these is thus assuredly settled and exactly known, it follows that we are right in asserting 5. That the decrees of election and reprobation are immutable and irreversible. Were not this the case, 1. God's decree would be precarious, frustrable, and uncertain, and by consequence, no decree at all. 2. His foreknowledge would be wavering, indeterminate, and liable to disappointment. Whereas it always has its accomplishment, and necessarily infers the certain futurity of the thing or things foreknown. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. 3. Neither would his word be true, which declares that, with regard to the elect, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Romans 11.29 That whom he predestinated, them he also glorified. Romans 8.30 That whom he loveth, he loveth to the end. John 13.1 With numberless passages to the same purpose. Nor would his word be true with regard to the non-elect if it was possible for them to be saved. For it is there declared that they are fitted for destruction, etc. Romans 9.22 Foreordained unto condemnation, Jude 4, and delivered over to a reprobate mind in order to their damnation. Romans 1.28, 2 Thessalonians 2.12 4. If between the elect and reprobate there is not a great gulf fixed, so that neither can be otherwise than they are, then the will of God which is the alone cause why some are chosen and others are not, will be rendered inefficacious and of no effect. 5. Nor could the justice of God stand if he was to condemn the elect, for whose sins he had received ample satisfaction at the hand of Christ. Or if he was to save the reprobate who are not interested in Christ as the elect are. 6. The power of God whereby the elect are preserved from falling into a state of condemnation and the wicked held down and shut up in a state of death would be eluded, not to say utterly abolished. 7. Nor would God be unchangeable if they, who were once the people of his love, could commence the objects of his hatred. Or if the vessels of his wrath could be saved with the vessels of grace. Hence, then of St. Augustine, Brethren, says he, let us not imagine that God puts down any man in his book and then erases him. For if Pilate could say, What I have written, I have written, how can it be thought that the great God would write a person's name in the book of life and then blot it out again? And may we not with equal reason ask, on the other hand, how can it be thought that any of the reprobate should be written in that book of life 
which contains the names of the elect only, or that they should be inscribed there who were not written among the living from eternity. I shall conclude this chapter with that observation of Luther. This, says he, is the very thing that raises the doctrine of free will from its foundations, to wit, that God's eternal love of some men and hatred of others is immutable and cannot be reversed. Both one and the other will have its full accomplishment. Chapter 3, page 95 Concerning election unto life or predestination as it respects the saints in particular. Having considered predestination as it regards all men in general and briefly shown that by it some are appointed to wrath and others to obtain salvation by Jesus Christ, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, I now come to consider more distinctly that branch of it which relates to the saints only and is commonly styled election. Its definition I have given already in the close of the first chapter. What I have further to advance from the scriptures on this important subject I shall reduce to several positions and subjoin a short explanation and confirmation of each. Position 1. Those who are ordained unto eternal life were not so ordained on account of any worthiness foreseen in them or of any good works to be wrought by them nor yet for their future faith but purely and solely of free sovereign grace and according to the mere pleasure of God. This is evident among our considerations from this that faith, repentance and holiness are no less the free gifts of God than eternal life itself. Faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 Unto you it is given to believe. Philippians 1.29 Him hath God exalted with his right hand for to give repentance. Acts 5.31 Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Acts 11.18 In like manner holiness is called the sanctification of the Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 because the divine spirit is the efficient of it in the soul and of unholy makes us holy. Now if repentance and faith are the gifts and sanctification is the work of God, then these are not the fruits of man's free will, nor what he acquires of himself, and so can neither be motives to nor conditions of his election, which is an act of divine mind antecedent to and irrespective of all qualities whatsoever in the persons elected. Besides, the Apostle asserts expressly that election is not of works, but of him that calleth, and that it passed before the persons concerned had done either good or evil. Romans 9.11 Again, if faith or works were the cause of election, God could not be said to choose us but we to choose him, contrary to the whole tenor of Scripture. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, John 15:16. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We love him because he first loved us, 1 John 4, verses 10 and 19. 
election is everywhere asserted to be God's act and not man's. Acts 13.20 Romans 9.17 Ephesians 1.4 1 Thessalonians 5.9 2 Thessalonians 2.13 Once more we are chosen that we might be holy, not because it was foreseen we would be so. Ephesians 1.4 Therefore to represent holiness as the reason why we are elected is to make the effect antecedent to the cause. The Apostle adds in verse 5, having predestinated us according to the good pleasure of his will, most evidently implying that God saw nothing extra say, had no motive from without, why he should either choose any at all, or this man before another. In a word, the elect were freely loved, Hosea 14.4 freely chosen Romans 11 verses 5 and 6 and freely redeemed Isaiah 52.3 they are freely called 2 Timothy 1.9 freely justified Romans 3.24 and shall be freely glorified Romans 6.23 the great Augustine in his book of retractations ingeniously acknowledges his error in having once thought that faith foreseen was a condition of election. He owns that that opinion is equally impious and absurd, and proves that faith is one of the fruits of election, and consequently could not be, in any sense, a cause of it. I could never have asserted, says he, that God in choosing men to life had any respect to their faith, had I duly considered that faith itself is his own gift. And in another treatise of his, he has these words, Since Christ says, Ye have not chosen me, etc., I would fain ask whether it be scriptural to say we must have faith before we are elected, and not rather that we are elected in order to our having faith. Position 2. As many as are ordained to eternal life are ordained to enjoy that life in and through Christ, and on account of his merits alone, 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Here let it be carefully observed that not the merits of Christ, but the sovereign love of God only, is the cause of election itself. But then the merits of Christ are the alone procuring cause of that salvation to which men are elected. This decree of God admits of no cause out of himself. But the thing decreed which is the glorification of his chosen ones, may and does admit, nay, necessarily requires, a meritorious cause, which is no other than the obedience and death of Christ. Position 3. They who are predestinated to life are likewise predestinated to all those means which are indispensably necessary in order to their meetness for entrance upon and enjoyment of that life such as repentance, faith, sanctification, and perseverance in these to the end. As many as were ordained to eternal life believe, Acts 13.48, He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, Ephesians 1.4. For we, that is, the same we whom He hath chosen before the foundation of the world, are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 And the Apostle assures the same Thessalonians, whom he reminds of their election and God's everlasting appointment of them to obtain salvation, that this also was his will concerning them, even their sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, chapter 5, verse 9, and chapter 4, verse 3, and gives them a view of all these privileges at once. God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation, through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, as does the Apostle, elect through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.2 Now though faith and holiness are not represented as the cause wherefore the elect are saved, yet these are constantly represented as the means through which they are saved, or as the appointed way wherein God leads his people to glory, these blessings being always bestowed previous to that. Agreeable to all, which is that of Augustine, Whatsoever persons are, through the riches of divine grace, exempted from the original sentence of condemnation, are undoubtedly brought to hear the gospel. Footnote. We must understand this in a qualified sense, as intending that all those of the elect who live where the Christian dispensation obtains are sooner or later brought to hear the gospel and to believe it. And the footnote. And when heard, they are caused to believe it, and are made likewise to endure to the end, and the faith which works by love, and should they at any time go astray, they are recovered and set right again. A little after he adds, All these things are wrought in them by that God who made them vessels of mercy, and who by the election of his grace chose them in his Son before the world began. Position 4. Not one of the elect can perish, but they must all necessarily be saved. The reason is this, because God simply and unchangeably wills that all and every one of those whom he hath appointed to life should be eternally glorified. And as was observed towards the end of the preceding chapter, all the divine attributes are concerned in the accomplishment of this, his will. His wisdom, which cannot err, his knowledge, which cannot be deceived, his truth, which cannot fail, his love, which nothing can alienate, his justice, which cannot condemn any for whom Christ died, his power, which none can resist, and his unchangeableness, which can never vary. From all which it appears, that we do not speak at all improperly when we say that the salvation of his people is necessary and certain. Now that is said to be necessary, which cannot be otherwise than it is, and if all the perfections of God are engaged to preserve and save his children, their safety and salvation must be, in the strictest sense, of the word necessary. See Psalm 103, verse 17, Psalm 125, verses 1 and 2, 
Isaiah forty five seventeen Isaiah fifty four verses nine and ten Jeremiah thirty one thirty eight thirty two verse forty John six thirty nine ten twenty eight and twenty nine John fourteen nineteen twenty seven twelve Romans eight thirty verse thirty eight and thirty nine Romans 11.29 1 Corinthians 1 verses 8 and 9 Philippians 1 verse 6 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 Thus, St. Augustine, of those whom God hath predestinated, none can perish, inasmuch as they are his own elect, and they are the elect who are predestinated, foreknown, and called according to purpose. Now could any of these be lost, God would be disappointed of his will in expectation, but he cannot be so disappointed, therefore they can never perish. Again, should they be lost, the power of God would be made void by man's sin, but his power is invincible, therefore they are safe. And again, chapter 9, the children of God are written with an unshakable stability, in the book of their heavenly Father's remembrance. And in the same chapter he hath these words, Not the children of promise, but the children of perdition shall perish. For the former are the predestinated, who are called according to the divine determination, not one of whom shall finally miscarry. So likewise Luther says, God's decree of predestination is firm and certain, and the necessity resulting from it is, in like manner, immovable, and cannot but take place. For we ourselves are so feeble that, if the matter was left in our own hands, very few, or rather none, would be saved, but Satan would overcome us all. To which he adds, Now since the steadfast and inevitable purpose of God cannot be reversed, nor disannulled by any creature whatever, we have a most assured hope that we shall finally triumph over sin. How violently soever it may at present rage in our mortal bodies. Position 5. The salvation of the elect was not the only nor yet the principal end of their being chosen, but God's grand end in appointing them to life and happiness was to display the riches of his own mercy and that he might be glorified in and by the persons he had thus chosen. For this reason the elect are styled vessels of mercy, because they were originally created, and afterwards by the Divine Spirit created anew, with this design and to this very end, that the sovereignty of the Father's grace and freeness of his love and the abundance of his goodness might be manifested in their eternal happiness. Now God, as we have already more than once had occasion to observe, does nothing in time which he did not from eternity resolve within himself to do. And if he in time creates and regenerates his people with a view to display his unbounded mercy, he must consequently have decreed from all eternity to do this with the same view, so that the final causes of election appear to be these two. First, and principally, 
the glory of God. Footnote. Let it be carefully observed that when with the scriptures we assert the glory of God to be the ultimate end of his dealings with angels and men, we do not speak this with respect to his essential glory which he has as God and which as it is infinite is not susceptible of addition nor capable of diminution. but of that glory which is purely manifestive. End of footnote. Of God, second and subordinately, the salvation of those he has elected, from which the former arises, and by which it is illustrated and set off. So the Lord hath made all things for himself. Proverbs 16.1 And hence that of Paul, he has chosen us, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Ephesians 1 Position 6 The end of election which with regard to the elect themselves is eternal life. I say this end in the means conducive to it such as the gift of the Spirit, faith, etc. are so inseparably connected together that whoever is possessed of these shall surely obtain that and none can obtain that who are not first possessed of these. As many as were ordained to eternal life, and none else believed. Acts 13.48 Him hath God exalted to give repentance unto Israel and remission of sins. Acts 5.31 Not to all men or to those who were not in the counsel and purpose of God set apart for himself, but to Israel, all his chosen people, who were given to him, were ransomed by him, and shall be saved in him, with an everlasting salvation. According to the faith of God's elect, Titus 1.1, so that true faith is the consequence of election, is peculiar to the elect, and shall issue in life eternal. He hath chosen us that we should be holy. Ephesians 1. Therefore, all who are chosen are made holy, and none but they, and all who are sanctified have a right to believe they were elected, and that they shall assuredly be saved. Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Romans 8.30 Which shows that effectual calling and justification are indissolubly connected with election on one hand and eternal happiness on the other, that they are a proof of the former and an earnest of the latter. Ye believe not, because ye are not my sheep. John 10.26 On the contrary, they who believe, therefore, believe because they are of his sheep. Faith, then, is an evidence of election or of being in the number of Christ's sheep, consequently of salvation since all his sheep shall be saved. John 10.28 Position 7 The elect may, through the grace of God, attain to the knowledge and assurance of their predestination to life, and they ought to seek after it. The Christian may, for instance, argue thus, As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Through mercy I believe, therefore I am ordained to eternal life. 
He that believeth shall be saved. I believe, therefore, I am in a saved state. Whom he did predestinate, he called, justified, and glorified. I have reason to trust that he hath called and justified me. Therefore, I can assuredly look backward on my eternal predestination and forward to my certain glorification. To all which frequently accedes the immediate testimony of the Divine Spirit witnessing with the believer's conscience that he is a child of God. Romans 8.16 Galatians 4.6 1 John 5.10 Christ forbids his little flock to fear inasmuch as they might on good and solid grounds rest satisfied and assured that it is the Father's unalterable good pleasure to give them the kingdom. Luke 12.32 And this was the faith of the Apostle. Romans 8.38 and 39 Position 8. The true believer ought not only to be thoroughly established in the point of his own election, but should likewise believe the election of all his other fellow believers and brethren in Christ. Now as there are most evident and indubitable marks of election laid down in Scripture, a child of God, by examining himself, whether those marks are found on him, may arrive at a sober and well-grounded certainty of his own particular interest in that unspeakable privilege and by the same rule whereby he judges of himself he may likewise but with caution judge of others if I see the external fruits and criteria of election on this or that man I may reasonably and in a judgment of charity conclude such an one to be an elect person so St. Paul beholding the gracious fruits which appeared in the believing Thessalonians, gathered from thence that they were elected of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And knew also the election of the Christian Ephesians. Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. As Peter also did that of the members of the churches in Pontus, Galatia, etc. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It is true indeed that all conclusions of this nature are not now infallible, but our judgments are liable to mistake, and God only, whose is the book of life, and who is the searcher of hearts, can absolutely know them that are his. 2 Timothy 2.19 Yet we may, without a presumptuous intrusion into things not seen, arrive at a moral certainty in this matter and I cannot see how Christian love can be cultivated, how we can call one another brethren in the Lord, or how believers can hold religious fellowship and communion with each other unless they have some solid and visible reason to conclude that they are loved with the same everlasting love, were redeemed by the same Savior and partakers of like grace, and shall reign in the same glory. But here let me suggest one very necessary caution, that is, that though we may at least very probably infer the election of some persons from the marks and appearance of grace which may be discoverable in them, yet we can never judge any man whatever to be a reprobate. That there are reprobate persons is very evident from Scripture, as we shall presently show, but who they are 
is known alone to him. Who alone can tell who and what men are not written in the Lamb's book of life? I grant that there are some particular persons mentioned in the divine word of whose reprobation no doubt can be made, such as Esau and Judas. But now the canon of scripture is completed. We dare not, we must not pronounce any man living to be non-elect, be he at present ever so wicked. The vilest sinner may, for aught we can tell, appertain to the election of grace, and be one day wrought upon by the Spirit of God. This we know, that those who die in unbelief and are finally unsanctified cannot be saved, because God in his word tells us so, and has represented these as marks of reprobation. But to say that such and such individuals, whom perhaps we now see dead in sin, shall never be converted to Christ, would be a most presumptuous assertion. As well as in an excusable breach of the charity which hopeth all things. Chapter 4, page 103 Of Reprobation or Predestination as it Respects the Ungodly From what has been said in the preceding chapter concerning the election of some, it would unavoidably follow, even supposing the scriptures had been silent about it, that there must be a rejection of others, as every choice does most evidently and necessarily imply a refusal for where there is no leaving out there can be no choice but besides the testimony of reason the divine word is full and expressed to our purpose it frequently and in terms too clear to be misunderstood and too strong to be evaded by any who are not proof against the most cognate evidence attests this tremendous truth that some are of old foreordained to condemnation. I shall in the discussion of this awful subject follow the method hitherto observed and throw what I have to say into several distinct positions supported by scripture. Position 1 God did from all eternity decree to leave some of Adam's fallen posterity in their sins and to exclude them from the participation of Christ in his benefits. For the clearing of this, let it be observed that in all ages the much greater part of mankind have been destitute even of the external means of grace and have not been favored with the preaching of God's word or any revelation of his will. Thus, anciently, the Jews, who were in number the fewest of all people, were nevertheless for a long series of ages the only nation to whom the deity was pleased to make any special discovery of himself. And it is observable that our Lord himself principally confined the advantages of his public ministry to that people, nay, he forbade his disciples to go among any others, Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6, and did not commission them to preach the gospel indiscriminately to the Jews and Gentiles until after his resurrection, Mark 16:15, Luke 24:47. 47. 
Hence, many nations and communities never had the advantage of hearing the word preached, and consequently were strangers to the faith that cometh thereby. It is not indeed improbable, but some individuals in these unenlightened countries might belong to the secret election of grace, and the habit of faith might be wrought in these. However, be that as it will, our argument is not affected by it. It is evident that the nations of the world were generally ignorant, not only of God himself, but likewise of the way to please him, the true manner of acceptance with him, and the means of arriving at the everlasting enjoyment of him. Now if God had been pleased to have saved those people, would he not have vouchsafed them the ordinary means of salvation? Would he not have given them all things necessary in order to that end? But it is undeniable, a matter of fact, that he did not. And to very many nations of the earth does not at this day. If then the deity can consistently with his attributes deny to some the means of grace and shut them up in gross darkness and unbelief, why should it be thought incompatible with his immensely glorious perfections to exclude some persons from grace itself and from that eternal life which is connected with it, especially seeing he is equally the Lord and sovereign disposer of the end to which the means lead as of the means which lead to that end. Both one and the other are his and he most justly may as he most assuredly will do what he pleases with his own. Besides, it being so evident that many, even to them who live in places where the gospel is preached, as well as of those among whom it never was preached, die strangers to God in holiness, and without experiencing anything of the gracious influences of his Spirit, we may reasonably and safely conclude that one cause of their so dying is because it was not the divine will to communicate his grace unto them, since, had it been his will, he would actually have made them partakers thereof, and had they been partakers of it, they could not have died without it. Now, if it was the will of God in time to refuse them this grace, it must have been his will from eternity, since his will is, as himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The actions of God being thus fruits of his eternal purpose, we may safely and without any danger of mistake argue from them to that and infer that God therefore does such and such things because he decreed to do them, his own will being the sole cause of all his works, so that from his actually leaving some men in final impenitency and unbelief, we assuredly gather that it was his everlasting determination so to do, and consequently that he reprobated some from before the foundation of the world. And as this inference is strictly rational, so it is perfectly scriptural. Thus the judge will in the last day declare to those on his left hand, I never knew you. Matthew 7.23 That is, I never, no, not from eternity, loved, approved, or acknowledged you for mine. Or, in other words, I always hated you. Our Lord in John 
17, divides the whole human race into two great classes. One he calls the world, the other the men who were given him out of the world. The latter, it is said, the Father loves, even as he loved Christ himself. Verse 23. But he loves Christ before the foundation of the world. Verse 24. That is, from everlasting. Therefore, he loved the elect, so too. If he loved these from eternity, it follows by all the rules of antithesis that he hated the others as early. So the children being not yet born, neither having done good or evil, that the purpose of God, etc. Romans 9. From the example of the two twins, Jacob and Esau, the apostle infers the eternal election of some men and the eternal rejection of all the rest. Position 2. Some men were, from all eternity, not only negatively accepted from a participation of Christ in his salvation, but positively ordained to continue in their natural blindness, hardness of heart, etc., and that by the just judgment of God, see Exodus 9, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 25, 2 Samuel 17, verse 14, Isaiah 6, verses 9 to 11, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Nor can these places of Scripture, with any others of like import, be understood of an involuntary permission on the part of God, as if God barely suffered it to be so, as it were by constraint and against his will, for he permits nothing which he did not resolve and determine to permit. His permission is a positive, determinate act of his will, as Augustine, Luther, Bucher justly observe. Therefore, if it be the will of God in time to permit such and such men to continue in their natural state of ignorance and corruption, the natural consequence of which is their falling into such and such sins, observe God does not force them to into sin, their actual disobedience being only the consequence of their not having that grace which God is not obliged to grant them. I say, if it be the will of God thus to leave them in time, and we must deny demonstration itself, even known absolute matter of fact, if we deny that some are so left. Then it must have been the divine intention from all eternity so to leave them, since as we have already had occasion to observe, no new will can possibly arise in the mind of God. We see that evil men actually are suffered to go on adding sin to sin, and if be not inconsistent with the sacred attributes actually to permit this, it could not possibly be inconsistent with them to decree that permission before the foundations of the world were laid. Thus God efficaciously permitted, having so decreed, the Jews to be, in effect, the crucifiers of Christ, and Judas to betray him. Acts 4, 27 and 28, Matthew 26, verses 23 and 24. Hence we find St. Augustine speaking thus, Judas was chosen, but it was to do a most excretable deed, that thereby the death of Christ and the adorable work of redemption by him might be accomplished. When, therefore, we hear our Lord say, 
Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? We must understand it thus, that the eleven were chosen in mercy, but Judas in judgment. They were chosen to partake of Christ's kingdom. He was chosen and pitched upon to betray him and be the means of shedding his blood. Position 3. The non-elect were predestinated not only to continue in final impenitency, sin and unbelief, but were likewise for such their sins righteously appointed to infernal death hereafter. The position is also self-evident, for it is certain that in the day of universal judgment all the human race will not be admitted into glory, but some of them transmitted to the place of torment. Now God does and will do nothing but in consequence of his own decree. Psalm 135, verse 6, Isaiah 46:11, Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 11. Therefore the condemnation of the unrighteous was decreed of God, and if decreed by him, decreed from everlasting, for all his decrees are eternal. Besides, if God purposed to leave those persons under the guilt and the power of sin, the condemnation must of itself necessarily follow, since without justification and sanctification, neither of which blessings are in the power of man, none can enter heaven. John 13.8, Hebrews 12.14 Therefore, if God determined within himself thus to leave some in their sins, and it is but too evident that this is really the case, he must also have determined within himself to punish them for those sins, final guilt and final punishment being correlatives which necessarily infer each other. But God did determine both to leave and to punish the non-elect. Therefore, there was a reprobation of some from eternity. Thus, go ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25 For Satan and all his messengers, emissaries and imitators, whether apostate spirits or apostate men. Now if the penal fire was, in decree from everlasting, prepared for them, thereby all the laws of argument in the world must have been in the counsel of God prepared, that is, designed for that fire, which is the point I undertook to prove. Hence we read of vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, put together, made up, formed, or fashioned for perdition. Romans 9. Who are and can be no other than the reprobate? This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 
450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.